Brimstone Hustle by Robert McKinney, Chapter 1. I walk into an alley, flick the wheel of my knockoff Zippo lighter, and drop down through a sky choked with brimstone and flame. The heat stings my skin, but my passage is short enough for me to land on concrete before my jeans or spaghetti strap tops start to smolder. A puff of foul-smelling smoke from the trip follows me after I land. I wave my hand to dissipate the cloud and exhale as I take in the room I've just entered. It's an ugly place, bare concrete and unpainted walls, but that's to be expected when dealing with arms factories in this part of the world. A long line of crates are stacked against one of the walls, and a conveyor belt, now dormant, waits to carry more of the same. With my footsteps quiet and lighter clutch tight, I make my way over to the nearest of the crates. The lock's a cakewalk to disable, and I lift the lid open to see the weapons, automatics, lined up neatly inside. The China North Industries Corporation, Norinco, makes a pretty good rifle, which is why I tend to rob them so often. Keeping track of their guard schedules takes a little bit of doing, but has been worth the hassle and then some ever since my secretary had tracked down a reliable stream of clientele. Each of the iron and wood rifles inside of the crate is familiar enough to anyone who's seen an action movie or watched the news since 1947. Rugged and simple, knockoff Kalashnikov rifles are so common they're almost never worth the effort of moving these days. Or at least they would be, if already stamped with the traceable serial numbers that are added to all rifles before leaving the factory. I reach down into the crate and pick up one of the rifles, brushing long strands of dirty blonde hair from my face as I do so, because I'd forgotten to bring a hair tie with me tonight. I flip the weapon on its side, squint, and then smile when I see that it lacks serial numbers, symbols, and sight markings of any kind. Without those markings, this weapon comes as close to untraceable as these things ever get. That's worth its own weight in gold when shown to the right kind of buyer. Fortunately for my little sister and her not-so-little student loans, eager buyers are no longer a thing that I'm short on. It's hard to pack a duffel bag without making a racket, but I've had practice. I brought one along with me because it rolls up small and handles easier than a crate. But as I start to unroll it and cram pristine AK-47 clones inside of it, I wonder if I should bite the bullet next time and show up with a few padded boxes and a sturdy hand cart. I'm panting by the time I get around to emptying my last crate of the night, which is probably why I don't hear anything until a guard barges through the door and shines a light at my back. Freeze, he says, in what I think is Mandarin? I'm not sure, because I know very little Chinese, save for the phrases often used by angry men with guns. That may seem specific, but it's a good thing to keep track of in my line of work, and is even easy to someone who failed high school Spanish. I curse to myself, annoyed at the interruption, because being annoyed is more pleasant than being terrified. Despite my job, I hate guns, especially when one of them is being aimed at me. I hate them so much, in fact, that I'd spend a chunk of what I'd expected to make with this haul on bribes to know who in this factory will be where and when. The nighttime patrol for this section wasn't supposed to come through for another half hour. They may have added more personnel, meaning the guy behind me is new. The new guy tells me to stop again, and it doesn't take a linguist to pick out the anxiety in his voice. Not good, not good. Very not good. I take a breath and try to stop worrying about the gun aimed at my back. I almost succeed, until I remember this funny thing that I know about bullets. They still hurt, even if you're not scared of them. I exhale and decide that it's probably best to listen to what the newly hired man with the newly issued gun is telling me to do. With my free hand, the one not still holding my lighter, I reach up and shrug out of the duffel bag strap digging into my shoulder. 
I lower the bag of weapons down slowly and without any sudden movements in the hopes of not damaging the weapons inside or getting shot in the back by a twitchy man with a gun. Despite my efforts, there's a clatter when the duffel bag meets the ground, and I have to wonder if the buyer will make me a discount the whole lot if there's cosmetic damage or if I'll be able to convince him to take a price cut on an item-by-item basis. I'm hoping for the latter. Mary's taking up film studies this upcoming semester, and I have to find her a nice camera in addition to textbooks. The new guy doesn't seem to be as worried about the merchandise as I am because he kicks my bag aside with a scraping noise. He stomps in towards me and plants a hand on my shoulder. I can feel the tremble in his fingers as he tightens his grip, preparing himself to pull hard and swing me around to face him. I face him, and then some, swinging my elbow as I turn while stepping enough to the side to avoid wherever his gun had been pointing. A ranger I'd met out in Bangkok once told me to never lay hands on someone you may have to shoot. All it does is let them know exactly where to swing. My elbow catches him in the nose a moment before my other fist follows suit. The strikes are sloppy, even by my standards, but he still staggers back and drops his gun. He stands there gawking at me for a full heartbeat or more, maybe surprising the woman putting up this much fight, before he starts bending down to pick up his weapon. By then, I'm already diving for my bag of stolen guns on the floor and raise my lighter up with my free hand. He says something else to me, but I don't think I'd have cared, even if I'd understood. The only thing that I'm focused on now is the duffel bag in one hand and my lighter held firm and ready in the other. I flick the lighter, birthing sparks, and drop again into flame, leaving no trace but smoke and a bloody nose guard in my wake. This has been Brimstone Hustle, written by Robert McKinney and narrated by Laura Romeo. Come back soon to find the next chapter of Brimstone Hustle. If you can't wait to find out what happens next, you can always find downloadable copies of the first three books of the Brimstone series, plus other tall tales, at www.patreon.com slash McKinney Can't Write. Have a good one.